0: What is a smart city? Our civilization has reached a point where we can no longer think bigger. We now have to think smarter. All around the world, there are transformative cities doing incredible things, and it's time to sit up and listen. It's time to make a difference for ourselves and for our planet. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Smart City Diaries, the podcast where we think the phrase do or do not, there is no try may have been just a little bit harsh. Today, we are going to be talking about something that, for better or worse, impacts every single one of us on a day to day basis. Transportation. You know it. You love it. No, you don't. No one loves it. But before we hop into that, we want to talk a little bit. Just, you know, it's been a couple weeks since we've done one of these. So, mom, how is everything going in your life right now?
1: Well, I'm still kind of floating in a blissful state from having just come back from Kauai for two weeks. That must be nice. So that was lovely, floating with turtles, etc. cetera. But there's a whole transportation narrative with that too. The and, and, it, and this is the first time I've really been on a long distance airplane flight since COVID hit. And my goodness, the hurdles that we needed to jump through to get into the airport, onto the plane, from the plane into uh, the Kauai airport, from Kauai airport into actually Kauai, into the hotel where we were double-checked once again. What
0: kind of hurdles? Uh, do you mean COVID-related or?
1: COVID-related. COVID-related. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it the having to wear the masks not a problem. We didn't have anybody worrying about that. But literally, every step of the way being checked. Did you have your shots? Have and you have to have your shots. Oh, so they're more. They're verifying
0: vaccination.
1: Verifying vaccinations. Correct. So what is verifiable? Did you fill out the proper form before you got onto the flight? Can we look at your cloud form that you filled out? What do you mean you don't have the password to get into that? Well, if I don't have the password to get into that, the agent tells us, well, then I can't check to see whether or not it's okay for you to come into the state. So what that told me, I mean, that was a big lesson for me and just how over the last two years, as something like a a pandemic can affect the most basic forms of how we get around in our day. I'm still loving the fact that I was floating with turtles. I mean literally these sea turtles we had an opportunity to go into the ocean and the turtles were literally swimming around us, above us below us. I literally had to backpedal to make sure I didn't crash into one. And that kind of experience is really mind-blowing. These gentle, graceful creatures um, that are so ancient, right? It's, it's really humbling. Um, but at the same time, we realize the dependency of places like uh, Hawaii, which depends on safe air travel in order to be able to attract the tourism that they need for their economy. So it's just amazing to me how it just really flipped right or, or flowed very easily into the subject that we are going to be talking about today. So, yeah, that's where I'm coming from today. Just still a lovely, lovely, lovely float from my two weeks in Kauai.
0: Well, that sounds lovely. That is not what I've been doing. I am. Well, what have you been doing, daughter? I mean, I'm getting ready to move. So this is actually going to be the last episode of this podcast that I record in my current living space. Suffice it to say that I'm happy to be leaving it behind and going to be in a new one that is much more reasonably sized uh, in just two weeks, actually. Two weeks from yesterday is my official moving date, so... That's basically been taking over that, you know, the day job and everything else that your day to day life. But I certainly have not been on vacation and I certainly have not been in Kauai. Yeah. So that's basically what I've been up to. I don't know if you know this, but moving. There's a lot that goes into it. I don't know if you're I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, but.
1: Oh, I think over the last eight years, I moved. Three or four times have lived here now for six years, thank God. But yeah, it's it's moving is the most one of the most stressful things you can do. That and building a house or doing a home improvement project. It's like moving
0: funerals, um, births. Uh, yeah, the the most stressful things humans can do. Right. But anyway, I we yeah. we digress.
1: We digress because we're going to talk about trains, planes and automobiles today. And I have to tell you, there is some exciting stuff happening out there right now. Um, even stuff that's been breaking this week that I'm really We're really happy that we're going to be able to share this with you. Um, and of course, it's all connected to data and cities and the Internet and fiber optics. So y'all keep telling me. I we, we are. So I want to tell you, I want to begin this with this wonderful experience I had back in 2006, when I had the opportunity under the flag of the World Trade Center to go to Shanghai, uh, to China for a trip. We were investigating some developers who were building a World Trade Center in China, and they wanted to actually build one in Oakland, a similar uh, one in Oakland. What we were thinking of was building a World Trade Center that actually showed, Showcased real products and services from the locality. So in Oakland, that would have been really cool because we'd have had the whole entire Bay Area to draw from in terms of technology and services right. and cool things that were happening. And one of the things that I experienced, I think it was the second night I was there, was the opportunity to take a, a magnetic levitation train underneath the Pudong River between the old side of Shanghai and the brand new side of Shanghai, which is called Pudong. And to get across the river we took a magnetic levitation train which was built underneath
0: the river itself. So is the idea there that because magnets repel each other so that basically that that's how the train it ho- it hovers. It hovers. So it's very low energy. It's kind of like a little push and zoom you go. And then you just right? have to keep it on the track.
1: While we have no magnetic levitation trains in the United States right now, there's a number of projects that are being prepared in Pittsburgh and California, Nevada and Washington, D.C., but nothing is off the ground yet. But the amazing part about this was not just the fact that I was able to get from one side of the river to the other, but it was an amazing visual experience. They actually created this light show between the starting of the train at the entrance to the where we stopped. It was, if I think about it now, it was magical. I remember, I think my jaw was hanging open the entire time. I just couldn't believe this experience. So that kind of tells you, it gives you a little idea of where cities, states are trying to go with transportation. They're trying to think of ways to attract people to public transportation, including entertainment, right? So, this happened in China. I haven't seen anything similar here in the United States, but it does give you an idea that entertainment is now very much being thought of as part of the transportation experience. As in
0: live entertainment? Because, like, you know, I mean, airplanes have TVs and things like that. So, but you mean a step past that. It was really marvelous, right? So it wasn't just entertainment a boob
1: tube. It was literally a visual light explosion um, of eye candy within the subway itself. So that to me gave me an idea of what transportation could be in the future. And then today, this just this week, I had the opportunity, Alex and uh, Jeanette, my daughter-in-law and my son, um, invited me to go see a uh, musical in San Francisco, Jesus Christ Superstar, which is one of my favorite. Thank you, Andrew Lloyd Webber, for being born and all the wonderful music that's come out of you.
0: I remember so, it well from my childhood. Yes. Oh,
1: how many times did we listen to it? Right, or listen to the? I know. The I movie probably... was just
0: always on in the background. <laughs> I, I mean, exactly. it was. It was. It was. Your line King. It was, I lo- yes, it was absolutely. I completely agree. Which the context there kids is that I, the Lion King was the movie I was obsessed with between the years of whenever it came out to roughly 1999. And I would watch it on a pretty much daily basis. So, and the two of
1: us would sing <laughs> at the top of our voices at yep. all the songs as they came along. Yep. So it was a wonderful experience. But the thing that caught me is we took BART Bay area, rapid transit, the one and into, only. San, into San Francisco. Um, I was stunned because we got on the train at 5:30 p.m., which is commuter time, right? Prime hours. Anna, there was we got into San Francisco, and you know what it's like in San Francisco at 5:30, six o'clock commuter. Right? It's jammed. People are like jockeying yeah. for position to get on the on the train, and then and me, I'm going to the other side and taking a bus, you know, a Bart train several steps off, so I can get a, 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 a seat. seat coming the other way. Girl, there was nobody on the platform. Okay, I'm exaggerating. There may have been 20 people. What day of the week? On Wednesday evening at 5.30. So I did some number hunting. Really? It's like, okay, so what has happened? Well, as of May of this year, over the pre- previous two years, ridership was down 90 per- over 90% for most stations.
0: Did this start in like April 2020 or is? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, at least that makes sense. Started to
1: drop when offices started to close, right? People weren't going into San Francisco. And even Twitter, which has a huge presence in San Francisco in mid-market, has told all of their employees, hey, you can work from home for forever if you want. You, nobody has to come back to the office, which is very interesting Kudos considering. To they, well, except that they just leased 80,000 square feet in downtown Oakland. I don't get it. So, anyway, I don't understand what's happening, but in any case, the BART train was empty, virtually empty. The platforms were virtually empty. Apparently ridership is up to is a, is now about 78% Uh, down from normal. But you can't survive like that. So this is the lesson. Public transportation systems are going to have to figure out how to attract people back into, because it's not sustainable for everyone to be in their cars
0: like they are right now. Our freeways are jammed again. Public transit in the city where I currently live, Los Angeles, as I have mentioned a few times, is non-existent. And Okay, yes, there we do technically have public transit. It does technically exist. But what a lot of people don't know is that Los Angeles originally back in the before times, meaning before cars, had one of the it had a public transit system of trolleys that was so good, it was one of the best in the world, not just the country, but in the world. And it was an inspiration to other cities. And there are two reasons that that is no longer the case. Their names are Henry Ford and Chevron. And I'm not going to get too deep into that, but go ahead and go on Google and do a little history. Because I actually learned that when, I grew up in this state, never knew that. I learned it at a tour, a vault tour at the Peterson Auto Museum, which is located here in Los Angeles. That was where I learned that fun fact, that they actually, they went, they were so, and this is what I mean about cities giving in to private industries and making the problem worse, because the city of Los Angeles allowed this. And they wanted people to buy cars, but the public transit system was so good that why would anybody buy a car? So not only did they have the pub, the trolleys removed, they had the tracks ripped out, so they couldn't come back. That was a hundred years, a hundred plus years ago, and we are still paying for it today. Anytime someone tells you that this stuff is impossible, or that this is just the way it is, and that like, oh well, we none of this was done intentional. Remember that most of this was done intentionally, and I'm going to sneak this in before they make me stop talking. It was done because of capitalism. Okay, I'm done. That's my soapbox. <laughs> So that's
1: why this episode is really important, because we really want to give people some inspiration and hope for how things are changing and to stay on top of it. So what are cities and regions grappling with around transportation? I mean, Ana, what was the the most recent public transportation experience that you had?
0: So my most recent public transportation was actually in Denver, and I needed to get to my hotel, which was near downtown. And the Denver airport, like most airports is not anywhere it's not central it's not centrally located it's out in the middle of like it's surrounded by fields there's nothing else quite out there so you have to it's a little bit of a journey to get into the actual city and so it seemed most cost effective because lyft and uber have gotten very expensive to the point that taxis kind of make sense again um it seemed most cost effective to take the train and plus, then you just sit in the train, and it takes a little while. You can decompress. There are things about public transit when it's not a nightmare that aren't so bad. It does have some benefits. And so I paid my ten bucks. Got which is the flat rate if you're flying from or if you're coming from the airport. There, it's ten bucks, and you can use it for the entire. Uh, it's like a, you have so many hours in which this pass is good, and you can take the train as many times as you want. Which to me is a nice, I, I like the way they do that. Because it was seamless, right? It was, it was easy. It was
1: frictionless.
0: The part that is not as good that would have been, I, I was very, I was exhausted. I was a little flustered. And so like, I was basically looking at, I was looking at the transit map to try to figure out which train I needed to take and which stop was nearest to my hotel. And it might as well have been in Aramaic for all I could read it. Like, I was just like this. So I actually just texted my friend who lives in Denver. And I just said, This is where I'm going. Can you help me? Tell me where to get off. And she did. She was like, get off on this. Like, I would get off on one of these two stations, then you can blah, blah, blah.
1: But what you're describing here and what I'm hearing is it's really the goal of cities and regions to integrate all of these systems, right? So you don't have to figure it out. So it feels seamless, yeah. making it easy to get from point A to point B. And, and with the era of sensor managed, you know, transportation modalities, uh, you're literally preparing for a digital age, right? Of planes, right. trains, and automobiles. So what are cities doing? So some of the things that cities are talking about is, there, is the creation, for example, of mobility hubs, both physical and digital. Portland, Cities like Portland, for example, um, announced a project several years ago called UB Mobile PDX, where a technology platform that would allow somebody who wanted to get from a to be and had to use multiple transportation systems, it would give you a simple path. Okay, do it this way. Take this. Stop here. Start at this time. What I could have used in Denver. Unfortunately, apparently they didn't actually do it. They've pulled the plug on the on the project. So it didn't happen. I'm sure others are working on it.
0: Was the issue what,
1: what was the issue funding? Um, I have a feeling it was just the software. It became complicated working across different jurisdictions, buses, trams, uh, 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 shuttles. um, Wait, what do you call the scooters?
0: All of those different things. So what I'm hearing is that because it was hard. The city abandoned a vital service because it was too hard,
1: It, it. they weren't able to do it at that time. It could have been funding. It could have been because there's lots of different steps. So let's talk about. So so yes, just, let's, so let's just, talk about it. <laughs> let's let's can talk about the different steps and why it's complicated. Because as as we've talked about with smart cities, if cities start with the technology and not with people, right, and figuring out what their problems actually are. Then the technology is not going to be able to serve people.
0: But it seems like in this instance, the I, the problem was identified. It seems like the need was identified pretty clearly. And like, look, I if you put a gun to my head, I could not co like I could not do the I could not come up with the tech. That is not my skill set. Right. That is. But I just look at some of the other apps that exist. And I know I know this technology exists. So I guess that's the source of my confusion. Like, obviously, you wouldn't actually have to reinvent right. the wheel. So, I don't know what happened. It would be interesting for us to do
1: a deeper dive into that to figure it out, especially since Portland's one of my favorite cities. And we probably will do an episode in Portland one of these days around transportation because they are really pretty
0: awesome around it in general. You know how to get this done? What? How? You just have to tell the police unions that somehow this is going to get the police more funding. (laughs) Suddenly, (laughs) I guarantee we would all have transit hubs next month.
1: The next thing that they're talking about is cities are now focused on developing physical transportation modes, right? So where trains right. and and uh, light rail like and Union buses, unions like Union Station, yeah, like correct. Union Station. And in fact, Los Angeles has a huge new project that they're planning right now, and and the things that they're going to they're working on is not only creating a seamless transportation experience, but also a human centered entertainment experience. They're also building that into it. I know because I've been part of the, um, one of the teams that's been applying to work on that project. So, so they're looking at transportation and, and serving people in different ways, creating digital identities. So digital driver's licenses, and they're experimenting with AI biometric. And I can hear the hackles on Anna's head, go hair going right now, right? Like, Ooh, uh, they're experimenting with I AI biometrics thoughts, yes. and facial recognition technologies to improve efficiency at transportation centers like airports, right? So the it's coming, folks, these digital identities, right? Innovation accelerators and Concord AAA, uh, one of our you know the big insurance company, has created a GoMentum Station in Fremont. It's a 21 acre transportation site, a transportation research center that actually allows self driving cars to run around real, real neighborhoods and stuff to actually experiment with self-driving cars. So, and, and how it connects to internet and smart infrastructure technologies. And this is
0: happening where in
1: Fremont? In Concord, California. Oh, Concord. Concord. So the other side of the hills. So, and so have you ever thought about how cities have to get ready for these transportations oh, systems? Yes. Yeah. It's like, uh Pittsburgh, San Francisco, London, Shanghai all have self-driving vehicles in operation right now. So what do they need to do to prepare for it? Well, it's it's not just about tech, right? You've right. just said, what are the needs of the people? What do your residents want, especially in low-income communities where transportation or lack thereof or efficient transportation? is a barrier to getting jobs.
0: Yeah, well, uh, not just a barrier to getting jobs, but a barrier to keeping jobs. I mean, if you live in a place that where you're, you depend on your car to get to work because public transit doesn't go out there, or if it does, it's unreliable right. or it's unsafe or any right. of these different, you know, things that might prevent somebody from taking public transit. Yep. If, what if your car breaks down and you can't afford to get your car fixed? I guarantee your boss doesn't care because doesn't care. bosses don't care.
1: Yeah, we have to figure out what your what your residents need. What do they need before you start implementing solutions? And then you the city has to develop good guidelines, yeah. right? They have to make sure that all the all the different departments that are involved with this, whether it's public works, whether it's the police department, whatever, they're all in sync on this and then developing guiding principles, which includes safety of the net of the system and it supports existing transit modes. It can't you know, it just can't just bypass it. It's got right. to work with them. Equitable and disabled access, just as you talked about. The sustainability of the system, the impact on congestion. Think about the Uber and Lyft. In San Francisco, it has tremendously increased congestion. It hasn't, it hasn't slowed it down because now there's all these cars and drivers coming as far away from Sacramento who don't understand this, how to use the streets in San Francisco who are causing congestion problems. Um, there has to be accountable. There has to be fairness in pay and labor practices. What's the financial impact? What's about the collaboration with the community to improve the city and transportation services? So these are the things that cities have to consider. So this is kind of just like the background before we get to the cool stuff that's happening in planes, trains, and automobiles, but cities really have to think about all of these different things as they're putting it together.
0: They need to be honest about the fact that they might see companies like Lyft and Uber initially as taking the need away from them to actually put resources into improving public transit. And a lot of times cities rely on private companies to basically pass the buck Because it's too hard or because it's too expensive to actually fix the root need. And then when it gets worse, the way it has with Lyft and Uber, cities want to say, well, we don't know how this happened. You kind of do, though. That's why Austin outlawed Lyft and Uber for a while, because they understood that this is making the problem worse. All I'm saying is that these things are our city governments are not hapless victims in this. They are willing participants often in the systems and how our systems get so messed up. And that's because governments are made up of individuals with individual motivations. And why we want our listeners to understand
1: how their local systems work so that they can intervene in that. Exactly. Because politicians are human. Yeah. They need to be reelected. They need your vote get involved. Speaking of COVID, speaking of COVID, uh, that's just the other thing that, uh, you know, public transportation systems are having to deal with. So the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority has developed live data about how crowded its buses and trains are. The European Union is actually looking into several innovations around disinfecting their trains, including self-driving disinfecting robots. So again, technology enters into it in in a pretty cool kind of way. Um, And of course, it's I'm not surprised that it's Europe, actually, that's doing this right now.
0: I really like the idea of it telling you how crowded the next bus is. I know. Isn't that cool? That is cool.
1: Technology is dramatically changing how we move around the world. That's it. And you and I have shown why it needs to change just our own recent experiences on
0: public transit. Right. I think we need to do a second transportation episode anyway that starts to tie into what our next topic is going to be, which is green, because that's the other side of why public transit is so freaking important. And obviously we can't get to everything today. So we will save that. But (laughs) we had to acknowledge it because we know that that is is the other half of the coin. (laughs) Right, because now we're going to get to the fun stuff. We're going to get to the fun stuff
1: now. Let's talk about trains, planes, and automobiles. And the interesting thing is, those trains, planes, and automobiles, they kind of are starting to intersect with each other. Oh, boy. And it's like, which is, oh, boy. It's, it's like this modern world is. To- so, come on, you've heard about the Hyperloop.
0: Yes, I have heard, of, but I feel like I've been hearing about the Hyperloop for like, over a decade am I hallucinating or have I been hearing about the Hyperloop for over well, over a decade? actually
1: actually interestingly enough the va- it's it the first vacuum train and I'll explain what a Hyperloop is. The first vacuum train concept was first proposed by Robert Goddard. Do you know who he is? In 1904. Oh, I was there. Father of rock US rocketry. So oh. the first space, the rockets into space, that was, that was Robert Goddard. So I
0: just really let down one of my history teachers. You did. Or, I'm sorry. They let I was me hoping down. You would. <laughs> there you go. California public schools. Anyway,
1: you, you were saying. So, so 1906, it was first or 1904, it was first conceived of. And what is it? A hyperloop transport system actually carries passengers in pods, through a giant low pressure tunnels either above or below ground it speeds up to 700 miles per hour think of it like that pneumatic tube mail system that we talked what, about people? in episode 2 but for people
0: now i'm picturing that's, a mail chute like
1: that's literally i mean that's that It's not any different than that. It's like literally that up to 700 miles an hour. So think about that. That could be individual pods. And if you think about that in terms of COVID and safety, maybe that's something or it could be larger pods. One of your favorite people back in 2012, Elon Musk, he first kind of thought about uh, out loud in public his concept for a fifth mode of transportation, calling it the hyperloop. So in 2013, Tesla and SpaceX kind of joined up, created the initial open source design, inviting people to find out ways to improve it. And today they actually built a one mile test track next to its Hawthorne facility, close to where your grandmother lives, to test and, and um, test pod designs submitted by third parties. So this is, a, this starts, is an Elon Musk project. It's a e- SpaceX project. So if right, it goes Tesla through water, the
0: bumper is going to fall off. That's what you're telling okay. me. I hope to God not. If, but he's not the only one doing it, okay? Well, he, so never, ep- he never is. The man's never invented anything in his life. Well, guess who his
1: competitor is. Come on,
0: guess. A competitor or
1: colleague? It's not Jeff Bezos. It's not Bezos.
0: If it's not Bezos, Gates? No. Buffett? I don't know. How many billionaires are there? It's the guy who <laughs> owns Virgin Airlines. Oh, brands. Okay. Got it. Okay. All right. So
1: the first passenger test of a Hyperloop technology took place in November 2020, and it was successful. It was with two company employees. They aimed to send passengers or cargo pods on tracks nested within tubes at speeds that approach that of air travel, 700 miles an hour or 670 miles per hour. It's a target. Three times faster than high-speed high rail, which California is now building, right? down the Central Valley. It's building high-speed rail, but this would be three times faster. And they proposed to build it between San Francisco and Los Angeles. Um, now, the good news is this is becoming more than just talk In the infrastructure bill that has the bipartisan infrastructure bill, you know, the hardware one, the one the Republicans really like because you can actually look and touch bridges and stuff like that. They've allocated significant amount of funds within that $1.2 trillion bill for Hyperloop technology. All right. It also created... The Non-Traditional and Emerging Transportation Technology Council, which is really important because that kind of codifies the technology, creates policies around it. And that's, you know, unless the government gets involved, these things will never never happen because it's too expensive to really test out the technology. So, so anyway, so that's the good news that's happening around trains right now. When will this technology actually happen? Don't know. But it's definitely something we know that if these guys are working on it, something will happen someday at some point.
0: There's a whole lot of bureaucracy involved, though, I'm sure. So, yeah. And the
1: government. Right. All right. Now we get to flying cars. And that's the thing that we all can think about. Right. And imagine with quite a bit of excitement. Um, What does that mean? So the Federal Aviation Agency reports that this year they're going to approve their first what they call urban air mobility aircraft. What does that mean to you when I say that?
0: What? Is, what I mean, what? what's the picture in your head? I'm going on a limb and assuming you mean hover cars, and I just, that can't end well. <laughs> Why is that? Because have you seen how people drive cars that are on the ground and limited by a one dimension? Like, they can't go, they can't go, there's now what you're talking about is instead of distance, it's volumetric ability to hurt each other and maim each other and cause explosions in the sky. And I just don't think that the average citizen should be able to fly a tiny airplane, which is basically what it's a it's a, hel- it's a helicopter. You made a helicopter without the blades. So
1: am, am I wrong? But they're, you're not totally wrong. There's okay. <laughs> Actually, people, their companies are coming at it from two different points of view. Um, there's Airbus. Um, Airbus is actually exploring flying cars with its Airbus Urban Mobility Program. And if you take a look at their website, it actually features a video version of what they call UAMs, urban air mobility vehicles that operate like drones. So yes, they can lift up, they can move forward, they can move sideways, Wow. Right. Yeah. They're doing considering, that commercially.
0: Like I said, most people can't figure out that you have to be in the right hand lane to make a right hand turn. And I, they're supposed to be able to handle flying around a floating car. Well, this is why the FAA
1: I is have involved. <laughs> right. The FAA is is obviously going to be very concerned about this kind of new smart flying cars. So the Airbus is that's a commercial. That's a commercial right. application they're looking at. Then Air Car moved closer, and this is a European company. Moved closer to production in June this year, in a 35-minute test flight from Nitra to Bratislava, Slovakia. So it took off normal airport, okay. flew 35 minutes. Rather than, of course, we all know flying is faster than driving in a car. Of course, they get on the other end. They, it's just like a a, a, a plane. But then, at the end, the wings fold in, the tail folds in, and it becomes an uber cool sports car. So it's a non sentient transformer. Yes, I hadn't thought about that, but that's an excellent way. Mom, that's
0: absolutely what it I'm looks like. I'm a millennial. We are not humans so much as cryptids <laughs> full of pop pop culture facts. So that's pr- like that. That's all I got. But <laughs> oh my god, that's that. No, that. But that's
1: perfect because if you see what it does. It it, it literally folds in on itself and it drives off as a very cool car. Now, I don't know how it
0: still has to go to an airport. So I
1: don't know how effective that is. But anyway, for some rich person, that's going to be really cool. That
0: does sound like it's going to kind of mostly just be a toy for the ultra rich. Caitlyn Jenner can complain about seeing homeless people next to that in 10 years, I'm sure.
1: Then just a few days ago, an Israeli company just this week unveiled the design for its Debut flying vehicle, an electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft for individual consumers. And you should see this thing. Air's CEO, Nathaniel Goldberg, he basically wants to bring the opportunity for aviation to the masses, right? Um, By what with what they call fly by intent software, allowing ordinary people to operate and navigate the vehicle. Right? Not just trained pilots. The company expects to deliver the aircraft in 2024. Yeah, and it costs about $200,000. But then this was the really cool one. Okay. When you think of flying cars and
0: cartoons, what do you think of? Uh, um, The Jetsons, the beginning of Iron Man 2. Um, Let's see.
1: I grew up in the Jetsons. This week, A company from Sweden announced the Jetson One, built by a a start from Sweden. It's an adorable flying bug. And if you see it, it really is. It's like a little bug that goes along at 63 miles an hour, all electric, right? Still a plaything, only has about a 15-minute charge on it. Will it be
0: sold at Ikea is the real question.
1: You know, I would guess that down the road, that would be the kind of thing. So so, so we're going from the grand commercial scale of thinking about urban air mobility down to the more practical level. Is it something that's going to be equitable, available to the masses? We hope not at any time soon, because as we've talked about, oh, my God, people can't drive now. When there's lines painted on a street. and I'm
0: not even con- I'm not I'm really not convinced I want it to be accessible to the wealthy either, because let's face, I mean, honestly, the wealthy no, tend to be right. some of the biggest menaces on the road. And it's because why? Because things are only illegal if you're poor. So, yeah, so <laughs> I'm just so- saying I'm not sure that I want. Some of these celebrities and rich people to have access to this technology either just because you have money does not make you smarter or more cape. Oh, God, it does not make you smarter than anyone but else. We know that they will be the first of early adopters and maybe right? the only adopters depending on whether or not any of this. Be- Basically, it's incumbent on the- our governments to make this stuff accessible. So that brings us back to why is this the government's problem? Well, and that brings us back to cities, yeah. right? Remember that thing
1: that I talked about in the beginning? Safety, transit, uh, gets along with other transportation modalities, sustainability, congestion. Cities, it has to be able to work within the city framework yeah. of what they're envisioning for transportation for their for their residents and what their residents have identified as their pain points. Yeah, And the tech
0: has to be built carefully carefully right. with very vetted engineers because, as we know, tech reflects human bias. Always, without exception, you are not right. special. You are not objective. There's no such thing as objectivity when it comes to the human experience. Right. It really matters who builds the tech because who, who 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 builds it will impact who it truly serves. Thank you, Facebook.
1: So, I'm involved with something called the Global Cities Team Challenge. And this is a group of um, universities, government officials, city officials, um, private entrepreneurs, private vendors, all the, the ecosystem of technology coming together to try to figure out what the standards for technology should be, especially for smart cities. So, around smart cities. So, they're envisioning actually imagining the future of buildings. A building as a mobility hub and not just for parking cars in the garage, right? So, what does that
0: mean? Good question.
1: My transportation colleagues have a vision for how future smart buildings will incorporate innovations in transportation. So, they will have physical landing platforms. So, just close your eyes, and as I'm picturing this, imagine a building that has a physical landing platform on multiple floors for people getting on and off personal, commercial, rescue, and other forms of aerial vehicles. So you literally can fly right into the building.
0: So they're escape pods for
1: everyday travel. And you can think about how much easier it is to get out at the end of the day after work, right? You got your vehicle right there on the floor, you escape out, you're out cool but it's also going to handle drones will also handle the work of exterior operations including inspections maintenance repairs so imagine these drones crawling up the side of a building you can literally instead of having the you know how you have the workers who are now lowering themselves yeah. on those platforms and they're uh, drones will be crawl you'll see drones crawling up the side of the building doing that kind of work and then of course underneath, all the usual ground transportation modes can meet in the bottom of that building. So that is the future that many of my colleagues in the smart city world are imagining. And frankly, is the future that we're building towards on a professional level. So, that's kind of the fun stuff that I wanted to talk about today around planes, trains, and automobiles. You can see that the, the lines are getting kind of fuzzy between what's a plane, what's a train, right, and
0: what's a car. If everything flies at some point, we're kind of playing with semantics and differentiating.
1: Urban air mobility vehicles. And I think I would guess as I see the backup U-A-M-V. right UAMV UAMV, UAMV. okay. And when I see the backup of cars on the freeway, I know that there's people that are going to be dying to get into the air.
0: You've already heard my skepticism and my concerns about this. I guess I will just let the scientists and the tech people figure it out and see what happens, right?
1: Yeah, let's just have fun with it for right now, imagining a future. And again, to our listeners, you've you know you're getting a pretty good grounding now on how the internet works, what data is cybersecurity, what can go wrong, what can go right. What we're asking you is to take your imagination and picture a world where all of these things work together in a way that is equitable uh, and benefits everybody in your city. What does that look like and what is it going to take to get there? We want to find the best of what's happening out there and understand the worst. So we don't make those same mistakes, but that we move toward a future that's that's better, not only better for everyone, but really best for everyone. Um, and as we head into climate change, which we are going to start, to, we're going to tackle in the next episode, um, we understand how all of these different technologies hang together to help us not only that have not only accelerated the impact of climate change, but actually we can work towards improving our climate change future.
0: And on that note, that is another episode of Smart City Diaries. If you have not already done so, go check us out. We have a Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the usual places. And also if you'd like to support, keep the lights on a little bit. We do have a Patreon with a bunch of special never before seen content that's just for our subscribers so give that a check out too and until next time everybody this has been smart city diaries we are signing off